Today we come to the second epistle of John. This is the second of his three epistles, though the first is by far the longest. Um, the, se- the second letter of John is, is merely 13 verses, <laughs> you know, and the third one's only going to be 15. So uh, they're, they're short, and, uh, but their brevity is not a reason to pass over them quickly without giving them serious thought. Um, the Holy Spirit saw fit to include these two brief letters, 2nd and 3rd John, in Holy Scripture. And as a result, there are things very much worthwhile to consider and consider carefully. Um, and so let's take a look at, at uh, John's second epistle today. Um, first, let's think about who, who he refers to as the elect lady. John, just as a, a point of interpretation, John uses a unique phrase to describe his addressees. Uh, whereas Paul typically addressed his letters to the church of God that is at Corinth, uh, that's 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, or to the saints who are in Ephesus, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, or the like. John here addresses the letter to the elect lady and her children, 2 John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, what is that referring to? It has been debated among various commentators over whom exactly this elect lady is. One, one option or one position is to take it literally, meaning John is writing to a certain lady within the church whose name is not known to us. But I don't know that that's uh, preferable uh, for several reasons. Um, elect lady is al- almost certainly a figurative way of referring to the local church or congregation whom he's writing to. And, uh, and there are several reasons for uh, seeing the elect lady as referring to a local congregation. First, grammatically, much much of the letter is written in the the second person plural. If you go, what in the world is second person plural? In southern English, the second person plural is y'all <laughs> instead of you. Uh, so one would not normally refer to a single individual as y'all. Second, it's inconceivable that John would be writing a love letter to a particular lady in the church, as verse 5 would otherwise imply, that we love one another. Third, when you fast forward to the very end of the letter, it seems as if John is writing this letter while ministering among another congregation whom he figuratively refers to as your elect sister. That's in verse 13. And finally, throughout the New Testament, the church is figuratively referred to as the bride of Christ. See, for example, 2 Corinthians 11.2, Ephesians 5.31 and 32, and uh, the end of Revelation, in Revelation chapters 19, 20, and 21. For all these cumulative reasons, it, it seems overwhelmingly reasonable and preferable to interpret the, the elect lady in verse 1 as a local congregation and her children as the individual members of it. Secondly, let's think about walking in the truth according to his commandments. If you remember the main emphases of John's first letter, you won't be surprised um, to see him emphasizing again in his second letter the themes of walking in the truth, as verse 4 puts it, or loving one another in verse 5, or walking according to his commandments in verse 6. These were all strong points of emphasis in the first letter and will be again in the third. Um John is very much attuned to the importance of practical obedience and holiness in the Christian life. It also appears that as we pointed out in 1 John 4, Jesus' words in John 13, 34, and 35 had a dominating influence on John's thinking. When John refers to the commandment, 
singular in verse 6, he is almost certainly referring to the new commandment that you love one another in John 13, 34. John is concerned primarily that believers live lives that are congruent with what they profess to believe so that Jesus Christ, the Lord they profess to acknowledge, is given the glory and honor due his name. How is that best done? Surely by walking in the truth and according to his commandments, as he puts it in verses 4 and 6. But most importantly, by loving each other with the selfless and sacrificial love of Christ. Jesus himself said, this is how all people will know that you are my disciples, John 13, 35. Well, finally, let's think about perseverance in the faith. John does issue a warning in this brief letter pertaining to our perseverance in the faith to the end. He says in verse 8, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. That, that's a warning akin to what we've seen several times throughout Hebrews, as well as uh, John's statement in 1 John 2.19 about those who went out from us and proved that in reality they were not of us. Likewise here, John tells believers to watch yourselves, verse 8. Those who aren't vigilant uh, run a dangerous risk, according to John. John warns against the professing Christian who, as he puts it in verse 9, goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. For those who feel there is no need to be vigilant in your own life and to watch yourself and your doctrine closely, the question must be answered, why then did the Holy Spirit give the warning through John to every Christian to watch themselves? In fact, while it is the promise of God that every genuine believer will persevere to the end and be saved, it is also true that 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 promise comes to pass as we watch ourselves and our doctrine carefully. More than half of the Jehovah's Witnesses that I've ever met are former Southern Baptists. I mean, most don't walk away from the faith in one dramatic instance, but inch by inch over long periods of negligence. So watch yourself carefully because you can be sure that whoever abides in the teaching, according to verse 10, has both the Father and the Son. Though these warnings are sobering, uh, they are some of the most gracious passages in Scripture that are intended to keep us in the faith and steadily persevering to the end. And those are just a few thoughts from Second John.